Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. All right, guys. Well, we're going to start with a piece of audio we did not get to in the second segment of the show, but we were talking about Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, the chances that maybe Carolina goes after them both after they both uh, have either been resigned or from, from their respective jobs. And Evan Cohen was on Unsportsmanlike, and he believes that Pete Carroll should come to Carolina. Pete Carroll is known for positive reinforcement. Pete Carroll is a pat in the on the back guy, not a stab in the back or stab in the front guy. Pete Carroll is a culture changer. Pete Carroll is positivity. Pete Carroll is old enough where he could have that executive role. David Tepper, Carolina Panthers, offer him whatever the hell he wants. He should be the head coach. And part of being the head coach, he should also be the team president. And oh. you should make him bring a coach-in-waiting with him. Change the entire culture. David Tepper should get out of the way and hand this franchise in Carolina to Pete Carroll. When we were talking about this, I, I compared the Panthers' rebuild to one of USC and what Pete Carroll did in Seattle. And I think Stanford P, because he, he asked if the Panthers are a stepping stone organization, which would mean it's a negative, you know, connotation. That's not what I'm. It's not what I meant. I meant that he's done this before. He's gone to a place and built it from the ground up. Walker, would you be comfortable, though, giving him the team president job over Cam Newton? And the head coach in waiting <laughs> is something we've never seen in the NFL, more of a college football type of thing. Yeah, I don't like the idea of giving any of these coaches personnel power. I don't want that. And he did have a lot of power within Seattle to make some of those decisions. Now, John Schneider, the general manager in Seattle, I don't know if we've had any comments from him about this move with Pete Carroll moving on from head coach, originally uh, expected to take an advisory role. But now we're not sure because it seemed like Pete Carroll still very much so wants to coach in the NFL. And now it just might not be with Seattle because it looks like they forced him out. So what is Schneider thinking about all of this? And if Pete Carroll had his hand in personnel decision-making and yet he goes to an advisory role, but he still wants to coach still feels like Pete Carroll has a lot of power within that organization. If he stays there, right? Yeah. So just a weird situation all around. That's why I think it would probably be best suited for Seattle. If they want to move on from Pete as head coach for him to leave the organization, he could come here and coach and I would be okay with it. I'm not saying he's my number one option, but there is clearly success that he's experienced Is elsewhere he top three i don't think so okay but i would be i wouldn't hate it because i do think that there are a lot of really interesting coaching candidates that i would be thrilled to have here in carolina i don't think he'd be a top three answer and especially if he wants personnel power i don't want that with any coach i'd rather have a gm 
and a head coach and go with the traditional hierarchy. Yeah, I don't like the, giving the coach all the power and all that stuff because it rarely works. I mean, Bill Belichick was able to get it done, and he stumbled into Tom Brady because Lord knows what his career would have looked like if he hadn't. I mean, maybe he would have been able to do some things with Drew Bledsoe. But other than that, I don't know that he would have had all of the success that he had if he hadn't have stumbled into Tom Brady in the sixth round. Uh, so, like I said, I'm never really a fan of bringing a coach in and just giving him all that power, especially, like I said, he is still very very vibrant. But at that age, I mean, I think you probably get maybe three, four years out of Pete Carroll. And maybe in that time he could turn this thing around. Uh, maybe he can't. But uh, no, nah, I, I wouldn't be with it. Another thing we've talked about and we'll talk about can, uh, as the offseason moves forward is the future of Vicky Aquanu at left tackle. And Trevor Sikama, he joined the Kyle Bailey show to talk about if it's time to move him inside the guard. You know, if you're Carolina and you want an offensive tackle, that might be a little bit tough of an ask to get one that would be starting caliber next year. But you, know, you mentioned uh, you got to still let Icky ride it out. You picked him so high. He was so talented coming out of the draft. You got to let him ride it out, kind of go through his lumps. Hopefully that he's going to kick back. And Wes, you, you've said that you think it's time to move him inside. Let's just say we get to training camp next year. Nikki Aquanu is your left tackle. Mm -hmm. But by mid-October, he hasn't progressed. How hard would it be to move him inside the guard mid-season? Like, is that an in-season move that you could make with them? Well, I think this is an interesting situation because, all right, so you can go to training camp, you can go to mini camp and have him working at both positions, but he's not going to be happy about it. You're probably going to have a disgruntled player. Uh, I know I didn't necessarily care for playing guard because I didn't like being inside of people with all the ruckus and different things like that. But also, Icky wants that payday. We all know that the left tackles get the biggest payday out of all of the linemen, and he doesn't want to miss out on that or get downgraded because he's being moved to guard. Guards are paid nicely, really good ones, but not as much as really good left tackles. And so I think that's the tricky part that they play. I guess you do come in and let him ride it out. And if he comes in and he's not what he needs to be this year, then you bench him. I think you bring in some depth at that position. You maybe have a guy in place or tell Taylor Moten, hey, you need to be ready because if Icky's not going to be the guy over there, then you're probably going to have to bump to left tackle and then we'll bring somebody else in. So I think that may be your alternative because I think if you have him practicing at both positions. Now, if he has a great attitude about it and it's like, all right, you know, I'm willing to do whatever for the team and be versatile, then fine. But if he's got issues practicing at guard and tackle, too, just in case you have to move him down inside, that would be a problem. So, yeah, let him ride it out. And if he's not it, then he's going to be gone from here after next year. The Panthers have to figure out if it's worth trying to resurrect what you had from Icky at left tackle in his rookie season and hope that comes back with Brady Christensen coming back at the left guard spot and this entire offensive line getting healthier. Or if it's not worth trying to resurrect that, going ahead and looking right now for a new left tackle, moving a first-round pick inside where he was already thought of as a guard by some NFL minds instead of being on there out the outside. They have to try to figure out what is the best decision for this team. And I think Icky riding it out still, trying to find what he was able to do his rookie season, helping him out a little bit, but also we see players grow and develop on their own time. It doesn't mean that he's never going to figure it out at left tackle. Now, granted, it would be great if he figured it out sooner rather than later because you have a second-year QB coming up next year. Here's the other thing. Like, is it crazy? I haven't heard anybody else talk about this. Is it crazy to 
maybe switch the left side of the line and go Christensen outside and Icky Kwanu inside. He's got those small arms, though. I know that's what Matt Rule would tell you, right? I know that's what Matt Rule would tell you. But Brady wasn't awful at left tackle the year prior. And if you decided to move him outside because he's much more of an athletic offensive lineman, and Icky Kwanu is the road grade you know, pancake guy that creates gaps for the running back to run through, is that something that you actually teeter with if you can't find another left tackle? Because Sam Monson just told you the free agent class, left tackle, you're not going to be able to find anybody. And you also have the 33rd overall pick. It's going to be hard to find a starting left tackle at the top of the second round. And so what other options do you have realistically to better the left side of your offensive line? It feels like Icky staying there is the right answer, but I do wonder if there's any thought process into switching those guys on the left side of the line. Yeah, that would be interesting, uh, like I said, because I know Christensen was a left tackle at BYU, and then they moved in the guard because they felt like he wasn't capable of being a left tackle or they wouldn't have put him there. But I think he could be a break glass in case of emergency type of situation to where if Icky's not showing and proving, you put him back there. Yeah, I guess short story short, it's going to be an icky situation on that left side of the line. The last piece of audio. <laughs> you are limping, buddy. <laughs> that I'm going to play for you guys is uh, from Ross Tucker. He also joined the Kyle Bailey show, and he gave his opinion on if Dave Tepper will be less involved this offseason as the owner. I think he felt like he was doing everything people told him to do. Hire the best coaches, get the number one pick, you have a good defense, blah, blah, blah. And it totally backfired. And so feels to me like it's going to be a total reset there. And I never know. I know the perception of his involvement there. But number one, I never know how involved an owner is or isn't. And I'll say this. And this is my experience, Kyle. There are owners that are a lot more involved than people realize. But it never really gets out. A lot more involved. Walker, on a scale of 1 to 10, where is your confidence that two involved Tep will be less involved this <laughs> offseason? PT. You said 1 to 10? Yeah. 1? You see, and this is where I think it sucks, where, like, Tepper doesn't have cachet around the league. I don't think many other NFL owners respect him. Like, he can't reach out to these guys and ask for guidance on what to do better and how to improve as an owner. And we're going to continue learning by trial by fire. But – David Tepper, I, I I know Ross Tucker's point, and I, I even would go with that a little bit when we would talk about Michael Jordan being way too involved and how awful of an owner he was with the Hornets. I think that changed a little bit once Mitch Kupchak took over instead of Rich Cho, and I think Michael himself changed even himself, despite whatever GM was there running you know, basketball operations. I know owners are involved. I understand that you want to be involved in the number one overall pick conversation. I get you wanting to make a big decision or be a part of the process that is such a big decision, like picking your franchise QB. But it's when it feels like you are making the decision and persuading everybody else to make that decision that feels icky to me. So for me, yeah, Icky Kwanu is on the mind. I guess that's why I decided to go that route. But with David Tepper, like how much are we moving where, okay, if we know about all of the problems that Tepper is when it comes to meddling with the roster, even if other owners meddle a little bit, 
doesn't it have to be at a much higher volume with Tepper for it to be getting out the way that it is, especially with the losing? Like, either way, it has to come down whether this is rampant in the NFL or not. Well, I think it depends on is the franchise winning or losing? Does the franchise have a winning pedigree or a losing pedigree? And so I think that's a big factor here when you talk about how much is it going to get out about him meddling. We saw when Dallas was on hard times, the narrative around the franchise was that Jerry Jones was doing too much. And so I think that's a key factor in this. My fear factor of Tepper is going to remain being too involved. Uh, I think we're seeing some of that already, where he's talking about pairing a GM and a head coach or not going about things in a more traditional way. And, and I won't even say traditional because traditional doesn't have to always be that way, but he's just going about it in a way that demonstrates the traits of someone that still wants to be a control freak. So to say, do I think that he will be, I'll put it on the level of a eight or a nine. Um, but I do think there are a lot of owners that are involved because, and, and I think it depends too, is the owner very knowledgeable about football? Because you have like the Al Davises. Al Davis knew football. He had won championships. He had done a lot of things that helped the Raiders win. So I think you could trust some of what he did, but then towards the end, it got really bad. And so not many football guys become billionaires. So in that case, most of them aren't going to know much about the game to offer enough input to be able to have a real impact. So, um, but I still think they own it and they want to control it. Is that it, Fiddy? No more sound bites? That's it, baby. No mas. You call me baby. Let's move on on that note. (laughs) It's been a little bit testy today. (laughs) It's been a little bit weird with Josh Fiddy Marlowe.